Hello, and welcome to the My Messy Church podcast. Each week, we'll be going through your questions from the weekend services and doing our best to present answers from a biblical perspective. If you haven't yet listened to the weekend sermon, I want to encourage you to head over to curtislake.org backslash media for context of what we will be discussing today. We love getting your questions and cannot wait to grow together. So without further ado, let's dive into My Messy Church. All right. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the My Messy Church podcast. I hope you're having a wonderful day. Um, this past Sunday, we had a, a number of questions come in that we're going to try to tackle. Um, uh, not everything is specifically related to the, the message. Um, you know, we did invite people to um, to ask just kind of even random questions. So if you happen to be somebody that's listening to this, uh, that's not particularly connected to our church, you might you might hear some things um, specifically about you know, kind of what's going on here at Curtis Lake. And um, yeah, anyway, uh, so the first, uh, the, <laughs> so <laughs> at the very top of our list today, um, so I, 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 you know, I tried to express my heart uh, for a moment this past Sunday, and I wrote a little poem. And, um, and so somebody wrote back, and a lot of you like this. Uh, somebody wrote, a poet you will never be, better a pastor to me, to preach to this troubled mob, please don't give up your day job. All right, um, so that's how we're gonna start. Now, uh, that's fair enough. Um, yeah, I would agree. The poem wasn't that great. This one's actually pretty good. I wish whoever did it wasn't anonymous. Um, would have loved to granted you some credit. But all right, thank you for that. All right, now, the real, uh, the real first question. Um, okay, there's. Um, you know, we talked, we talked about serving, we talked about spending your life, um, you know, what, like how Jesus did, right? Jesus, he, he, he spent his life uh, for us on our behalf. He put himself in the lowest place, became a servant to all in that he gave his life for us. And we talked about how, you know, we reflect back uh, the, the, you know, a, a love for him by, you know, following after that same model, right? And we're called to spend our lives as well. So a number of questions came in, you know, kind of about like particular things that people might be able to, or ways that people might be able to serve at our church. And I, I you know, some of the questions I, I don't know exactly how to answer because I'm probably not the best person to answer the question anyway. And so I would just say, you know, if this is, if there's something on your heart where you're kind of looking for a way to get involved uh, in the life here at uh, Curtis Lake, whether it's, uh, you know, somebody mentioned, uh, you know, what's coming up in the next month or two, like, what can I do to help as we say, getting ready for the the Christmas season, there are definitely plenty of opportunities uh, for people to get involved. And so just, you know, on a Sunday morning, I come up, let's have a conversation. I mean, you can ask, you can ask me and I can try to actually get a person live uh, in front of you to, uh, maybe help connect you to whatever is going on. Uh, talk to somebody else from the leadership team. And yeah, I, I think that's just, that's a great way to go. But thank you so much for uh, those of you who are expressing these sentiments of wanting to to serve our church and our community. But anyway, at Curtis Lake, uh, this, this question was, what are the greatest areas of need? And, uh, you know, certainly one of the most obvious places is in our uh, it's in our family ministries kind of environments. Uh, so all of the all of the ministry that's done for very, very little children right up through teenagers. Uh, we have 
Uh, we have a number of ministry offerings available for various age groups and uh, where, you know, what we need is we need, we need loving adults to come alongside and to spend time on a Sunday morning with a small group of uh, elementary age kids, you know, during church, uh, helping them to just have a, a worship experience of their own. Uh, and yeah, so if you love elementary age kids or think that might be a good place for you. There's lots of opportunities there. And then also when it comes to our middle school and high school students, I mean, it should be no surprise to us that in really in any community, but I think especially ours, I mean, we just have so many kids that are really, really hungry, uh, desperate even for good, positive mentoring relationships. Uh, I am so grateful for some of the people in our church that I know are here week after week after week, uh, just just being there, spending time with uh, teenagers, again, right from middle school on up through high school, who are willing to be a person that is just showing up consistently in their lives. For some of those kids, I imagine that um, like the stability of knowing that there's uh, the, these few caring adults that are going to be at the church every week is so meaningful. Uh, but we're actually, we're really short-staffed in that. I, I don't know if it's that people feel like that is uh, an environment that's just too challenging. F people aren't being drawn into it or whatever. But I can tell you, uh, Magnus, our youth pastor here, uh, would he, the ministry that he's in charge of would benefit so greatly uh, if we could get some men and women uh, who would just be willing. Again, you, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a pro. Uh, I, I've seen all kinds of these commercials coming up, just trying to encourage parents. You know, you watch TV, there's there's a whole series of commercials um, trying to encourage parents to not overthink what good parenting looks like. That You know, that so much of good parenting is just, it's just being there. It's just showing up. And, uh, and so we have a meeting every single week for... Uh, for our young people uh, that's kind of age specific and uh, it's uh, you know a couple hours a week that you spend with some kids and 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 then maybe even beyond that just uh, uh, on occasion kind of reach out and check in and again just be a be a be a stable loving adult in that uh, person's life or those few people's lives and uh, so I'd say that you know those are those some are some of our greater areas of need uh, but there's there's lots of things there's all kinds of things uh, going on here and, and places where people can find uh, where they might fit in or a way that they can serve our church and our community so yeah let's uh, it, a lot of it starts with a conversation so uh, feel free to reach out and uh, that'd be great um, all right. I talked a little bit or kind of mentioned, um, you know, that self-care has sometimes become like this idol uh, in our in our society. Uh, you know, we are we're very affluent. Right. We're a very wealthy uh, kind of people. I know some people listening to us are like, oh, I'm not wealthy. Now, I mean, when it comes to how we rate compared with much of the rest of the world, the fact that we have homes to go back to and, and, you know, three square meals a day. And, and, uh, uh, yeah, and like most of our needs are met. And I'm not saying that we don't, many of us have financial struggles. Uh, but the truth be told, we're, 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 we're pretty wealthy. And, um, you know, there's a, there's this whole movement toward well-being that 
a, a wealthy, rich society is often going to gravitate toward because it can, right? It has the resources to do such a thing. Um, and, uh, and anyway, I, 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 again, don't want to dismiss the idea that, that self-care is important, but I am afraid that sometimes it's become like our priority even over and above what it means to spend our lives outward and spend our, our lives on behalf of other people. So this person asks or says, uh, self-care can be an idol. Uh, so I, I think we agree there. However, in church world, it often doesn't happen enough. What does healthy self-care look like? What does healthy serving look like? This is a really good question. I, I don't know how to, I don't know exactly how to, to, to frame the whole entire thing. It's probably uh, something that would be a great, conversation for a group of people together um, to, to think about, all right, where, where is this balance that we need to strike between ensuring that we're taking good care of ourselves and, and then also ensuring that that's, that's not all we're doing, that we are, we're not just filling the cup, right? And so that the cup's always overflowing and that's it, but um, we're, we are actually spending our lives uh, for the benefit of other people. Um, in other words, serving uh, other people. Um, you know, people, I think, make mistakes on both ends. When when it comes to, to serving, sometimes people give very little to no thought for themselves, and they they get themselves in situations where, um, where there's very little boundaries, and so they're constantly being taken advantage of, and uh, or because maybe they have a, a, you know, some kind of savior complex or, you know, I have to do it all kind of complex or any number of other things that, that causes a person to, to end up putting so much on their plate that they're unable to actually manage all of these things that are going on uh, in a healthy way and still, and still be healthy. Uh, a lot of times they'll, they'll be knocking off tasks, but while they're doing that, uh, maybe forgetting about the, the human beings that they're actually serving. And so uh, relationships start to get strained or whatever, or, or they do have these relationships with other people. And again, because there aren't really good boundaries there, uh, it's having a more negative impact on, on their own lives that'll ultimately have them running out. Uh, they'll, they'll just, they'll end up getting to this place where they're not able to, um, to extend anymore. And a lot of times when a person hits that point, they just, they stop, right. And they withdraw. And all of a sudden that person that was serving to such a high capacity is unable to serve anymore and, you know, ends up in this state that could last a really, really long time. So I do think it is important to do both. And, you know, when I think about healthy self-care, I, I mean, I'm thinking less about some of the, the, the ways in which we kind of splurge or indulge ourselves on certain things. And I think that what it means to be ensuring that we're staying spiritually healthy, right? When we think about soul care, uh, I, this might sound simplistic, but I just, I kind of go back to the rhythms uh, of Jesus's life that are modeled in the, the, the stories of the gospels, right? You see Jesus constantly spending himself outward toward other people, right? He was very, very accessible. In fact, he made himself accessible to people that, that were, that had no access to 
um, to, to much of what the rest of society had access to, right? Jesus, he put himself in the middle of very, very troubling situations. Uh, not only that, but like he was, he was in such high demand whenever he'd uh, come into a town and word would get out. I mean, he, he gathered a crowd. And so oftentimes he was, he was just expending energy on people. I mean, I think we all know that, that people can be difficult, right? People can be a drain on us, uh, as we, as we sort of pour ourselves out, uh, on their behalf. And, and, you know, but Jesus didn't, he didn't, um, he didn't ever do that to the exclusion of also uh, guarding his own well-being, right? And this is why we're told from time to time he would just, he would go away to a place to be alone and to pray, uh, to kind of regather himself, to just be refilled uh, through his relationship with, um, with his father. Uh, sometimes he would surround himself rather than with a whole big crowd of people, um, surround himself more with those who were familiar and were um, had more intimate relationships with, right? Like he was, he'd, he'd, he'd sort of be fueled, I imagine, by the friendships uh, that were around him, the people that were supporting him that, again, enabled him to go back out and to minister so well in the more difficult and challenging environments. And so, um, I, yeah, I, I think that while as a Christian, it is very, very important for us to tend to our spiritual well-being. And last week we talked about some of the spiritual disciplines that help us to actually do that on an ongoing basis. Let's not let's not just recuse ourselves from the importance of actually serving people, of actually being, uh, you know, something like uh, a person whose life is being spent out. Uh, I was just kind of thinking again through the the whole idea of that, and, and you know, I don't want to come to the end of my life, and I'm sure many of you listening to this don't. You don't want to come to the end of your life with just sort of so full, right? And you breathe your last breath, and it's just there's there's so much life that you didn't spend, right? And you just kind of take that with you to the grave. I mean, let's. Let's pour ourselves out. Let's uh, let's make our lives something that truly um, impacts the world that God has put us in, right? That that there's uh, there there's I, I it's going to be different for every person, but there's a number of people that God's going to bring into your life uh, that you can have an impact and an effect on, and and. Like I said this past Sunday, not everybody's going to make this big splash and headline and, and you know, people are going to write books about us, right? Most of us are going to do this in a, a high degree of anonymity, right? And, and, uh, and it'll barely register, uh, you know, maybe outside of our, of our little circle. But boy, when we stand before Jesus and he looks at us and he sees a life that was spent in loving service, to others and fueled and motivated by a love for God. I mean, that's, I think that's where the idea of him looking at us and through this assessment saying to us, well done, good and faithful servant. I think that's kind of where that comes from. Uh, All right. Another question about serving. How do I know what God wants me to do? Is it just listening to your inner voice? Would that not be selfishly serving sort of like whatever feels good? So, you know, it depends on what we're talking about. I think that there's there's serving others in a very, very general and broad sense that I think should just, it should 
kind of define the makeup of who we are. Uh, in Jesus's words, this idea of putting yourself last or in the last place with regard to everyone else that's around, um, not seeking the first place, right? We, not that we actually physically do this. I mean, some of us might, but we don't, we don't necessarily push ourselves to the head of the line, right? We learned in grade school, no cutsies. We, we, you get in line and you wait your turn, hopefully patiently and without a lot, without a lot of, uh, you know, bad attitude. But, uh, you know, if in our lives, really, I mean, if we could just sort of remove ourselves and look down and assess how we are handling ourselves and managing ourselves in and around other people, are we, are we, are we tending to kind of want to get to the front or the more prominent place? Or are we, are we okay with coming underneath, you know, those who are in our proximity, right? Are we, do we have, do we possess this mentality of service, right? The spirit of serving other people where I, I, I don't know about you, but certainly at any given point in the day, I mean, I have running through my mind an agenda of all these you know, these things that I want to do or that I need to do. Uh, I am, I am a bit of a, uh, an accomplishment driven kind of person, right? Or you might hear it defined as task oriented. It's like, all right, here's the work I've got to do. Let's bang it out. And anything that disrupts or interrupts my ability to get those things done is very frustrating to me, right? It's, it, it requires me uh, to kind of move away from my own idea of how my time ought to be or needs to be spent. And now all of a sudden, um, make myself available for the situation that is presently in front of me. And, you know, I need to, I need to see less that that is a, um, a waste of time, right. If I'm, if, if I'm going to be honest, uh, that my, my time, which I feel is, is just so precious, right. As we all do, uh, when, when my time is sort of taken away from me and it, it, it's, it can be very disorienting. And, uh, and so that makes for a lot of us, it makes it difficult to just to serve, right. Again, it come, comes down to this, this idea of being available of, of, um, we're rushing, we're hurrying, we're, we're, we're scattered kind of all over the place. You know, are we able to like slow ourselves down and just be present in whatever moment that we find ourselves in? So like, again, that's, that's sort of a characterization uh, of, of being a servant to others. And then specifically when it comes to, all right, well, what does God want me to do? You know, uh, this person asks, are you just listening to that, that, that inner voice, right? Or, you know, the spirit of God's voice kind of speaking to you. Is that just selfish? Like, let's say uh, I, I, I'm listening for, and God's kind of drawing me into this area that, uh, you know, has something to do with, with things that I like or that I'm good at, right? Is it, is it okay for me to serve in that? I'd say absolutely. In fact, most of the time, I think that's where God has us serving is in areas that are, um, they are, they go along with what God has gifted us for or what passions God has put into our, into our lives. So the idea of it feeling good is, I think that's fine, right? I don't think that serving God always has to be this uh, begrudging kind of task where you know, it's, it only counts if it makes you miserable and sad, right? That, 
I'm not saying that there aren't some things that we have to do that we'd rather not do, but we do them anyway because it's it's the right thing to do or it's the, it's it's the thing that a servant's heart is going to compel us to do, right? There yes, that's going to happen. But when it comes to the general sense in which, all right, where do I where do I kind of fit and offer myself? Um yeah, I I, I think a lot of times it's going to be it, it, it's probably going to be something that makes you that makes you feel good. That that's like, yeah, this is what God created me for. This is what God wired me for. So discovering what that is and how it can ultimately serve uh, the church, how it can serve other people, uh, I think is perfectly appropriate. Um, so go for it. Uh, somebody asked, is there a way to get updates from the team going to Mexico while they are gone? So in case anybody is listening to this, uh, interested in getting some of those updates, uh, we will have things, I'm sure, posted uh, on social media as we kind of get information from them. So uh, I imagine, you know, keep an eye out on the Facebook and uh, you'll probably find some information from that. Uh, maybe this Sunday we might have an update too. I, that's the most I can say about that. But all right, uh, not message related, but are we collecting warm clothes for the asylum seeking families? If so, can you give me more information about that? Again, uh, these are, these are kind of questions that I think, uh, I'm not in a really great position to answer. I suppose I could have looked at these questions a little better <laughs> ahead of time and had things written down, but I didn't. So, uh, I, yeah, I don't know if this, uh, we, as again, people in our church are aware, uh, we have some relationships and some initiatives regarding the asylum-seeking families and other things. Uh, and so if that's something that you're interested in finding out more about, um, let's have a conversation um, sometime when you're at the church or you can shoot an email, uh, of course, to anybody on staff and we can either answer it or get you connected to who you need to get connected to. All right, here's an interesting one. Uh, how was God created? Uh, so not specific to the message, but we said, bring on the questions and here's one of them. Uh, how was God created? So the Christian understanding of God, as, uh, we understand, you know, we, we learn from the Bible, which, uh, scripture for us is a kind of, uh, revelation of God that God gives to us, right? So what we understand about God is that he is something uh, other than what we are. And so in that, without him willingly revealing himself to us, we can't know him. And so that's part of the benefit of having something like uh, the scriptures, having something like the Bible, because it teaches us some things that we can know about God. Um, now, both within our sort of uh, doctrinal teaching about God, but also in even philosophical strains, this question of how was God created, uh, I think there are some pretty good insight uh, about that. And so I'll just make the statement that God was not created. Um, that that um, Let me start philosophically, even before we get into Scripture, but philosophically... There is this idea that, okay, we have something like the universe, we have, you know, matter and energy, um, and, and, and the question is, well, where did that come from? Uh, there has to have been a beginning for the 
the the physical reality that is this universe. And so philosophically, it, an argument can be made that uh, because the universe has a beginning, there must be something or uh, the Christian would say someone who is outside of that who made it, right? So we call that person God. Um, that God exists independently of the universe by necessity uh, and that he created the universe. So it's like, okay, well, let's say that that is the case. Well, what about God himself? Where did he come from or how was he created? Uh, ultimately, you have to come to this place where you have something that is uncreated. You have to have something that um, where our universe is full of a reaction of cause after cause after cause after cause, right? Like everything that has sort of led us up to this point has been caused by previous causes, right? And you, if you were to able to kind of back up that timeline to a point where you identify this as the beginning, that that thing or that person that's outside of that is what in philosophy, we would call the uncaused cause, right? That is this being that sort of gave the first push or uh, for, we're talking about the universe, spoke the universe into existence. But that, but that thing or that person himself cannot have been caused, right? Otherwise, you just end up with this, in, this infinite number of causes, and that doesn't actually make any logical sense. Uh, and, and so while, <laughs> while it's a um, kind of an incomprehensible idea that you have this being who is not caused, who had no beginning, uh, while that may, because we are finite, while that may sound incomprehensible, I mean, that's just, that's sort of the necessary reality. That's what God is, right? And so, and, and scripture confirms uh, this very idea about God, that he is from everlasting to everlasting, that he has no beginning or end, right? That he exists outside of things like time and space, which we are confined, right? We're confined both to time and space, but God lives outside of those things. And so he was not created, but is in eternal being. Uh, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, eternally existent uh, as the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So uh, there's there's lots of other information you can kind of look up if you want um, to dig into that a little bit more. It's it's it is a really uh, fascinating uh, strain of, uh, of of philosophy and and also theology. Uh, and so yeah, good stuff. All right. Uh, what does serving look like? I feel pressured each week. I understand to serve the church so it can operate, but I don't feel called to do so right now. Um, okay, I, I can understand certainly uh, where this person is coming from. And let me just say a couple things. For, for one, um, I don't think the most important thing that any of us necessarily does is serve the church, right? Or And please don't forget when i when i talk about the church i am not talking about an organization i am talking about the people that are the church right and so there is there's a body uh of believers right um a group of people that are united by our relationship with jesus christ and our our um 
our allegiance to the crucified Messiah, right? That, that is this thing that brings us together in one place beside the fact that we are, we're geographically near one another, right? Like that's why we have a local church, uh, an organization that we call Curtis Lake church that is, that has a, an organizational kind of component to it, but that ultimately at the very, very heart of it is this organic body of people. Um, and so like, I understand, you know, in our, in our context, I can, I can definitely appreciate how it's going to, the idea of like what it means to give my life to that, that entity that is, you know, all these people that are part of this church, that, that, that could be, that could rank fairly low in the list of things that we feel like we need to do <laughs> to kind of get through, um, our lives. So, yeah, so I understand that. So let me, again, let me just say that serving the church for most of us is probably not going to be the, you know, the number one priority that we have. Uh, ranking before that is going to be probably attending to our own individual families. Uh, for many of us, it's going to be attending to our responsibilities that we have uh, with our job, maybe even some other organizational things uh, that we're involved in uh, in our community. However, I do, I do think that for a person to be, to actually be a kind of a, a belonging part of the church, there ought to be a sense in which that, um, this, this, this church that I'm a part of, it's, it's comprised of a bunch of people that I, and I sort of think about this in two ways. These people are people that I want to be able to depend on and count on uh, at varying levels, right? So if we have a few hundred people that are part of our church, say, uh, there's going to be, in a general sense, like this idea that's like, okay, this is, this is a community that I belong to and, and, and I depend on them. And then there's going to be a smaller subset of those hundreds of people that I'm really going to depend on. They're going to be people that I have deep relationships with, right? They're going to be the people that I go to when I need to talk to somebody or I have something going on or, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm moving this weekend and, and this guy has a truck and, <laughs> um, and, and is a friend of mine, right? Like there's, there's going to be ways in which I, I draw on uh, independence toward this group of people. We need that. That that's however independently we want to live from other people, we have to recognize better that that is that's just not the way we're actually designed to live. Uh, we're not supposed to be living these 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 lonely kind of maverick lives that are not deeply connected to other people. Um, and and like when it comes to the church, it's now we're talking about people that we can have spiritually beneficial relationships with, right? So, you know, many of us, if, let's say you're, you're part of a family, you have a really, really good family, strong family connections and everything, but very little in the way of spiritual relationships within that family. Um, okay, well, those family relationships are really important. And I know that, I mean, you can derive so much support from those people, but if they're not, if they're not spiritually beneficial to you, then you need to find people that will come into your life and offer you spiritual benefit. There are going to be people that are going to help um, 
as you're walking on this journey of being a, a follower of Jesus, they're going to, they're going to be walking specifically on that journey with you. Like if your mom and dad aren't, aren't walking on that journey, I know that you could probably count on them for some things in your life and you probably do, but if, if they can't speak into your life, uh, anything in the way of, of moving you closer to God, we've got to have those relationships, right? So that's, that's one of the beautiful parts of the church is it, it's, it's sort of baked into the family of the church. Now I have people, uh, so long as I, I, I make myself, uh, available to, and, 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 and become vulnerable to that group of people. It's like, all right, now I have people that can help, uh, spur me on spiritually, but then not only should I be like a sponge that's just kind of sucking away from uh, those people in my lives, but I'm called to serve them, right? I, I'm called to be a servant to them as well, to have a, a way about me that is, and just remember the picture of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. I mean, read that story again and again and again. And just really try to put yourself in the place of the disciples who all of a sudden, this great master, teacher, and Lord that they had given their lives to, that they, they, had, they, they actually like pledged their physical lives to. They, they saw Jesus as somebody that was going to, to uh, initiate a kingdom, right? From their perspective, he was, and they were kind of wrong about this, but they saw Jesus as ultimately this, this promised king who was going to be uh, a revolutionary. And they were, as, as members of his small community, they were, they were ready to, to, to go the distance, to give their lives up for him. And, and, and so anyway, they, they, you have to imagine, first of all, the high degree of uh, of, of loyalty, of affection for, um, of respect for this, this Jesus. Right. But then, you know, all of a sudden he, he takes on the form, he, he does something that only, uh, a lowly and despised servant would have been expected to do. Right. He wraps a towel around him and he goes to each of his disciples and he washes their feet. And it's just, it's such a picture of service and, and it, and it, it's an emblem of the manner that we ought to have toward one another. So when you're thinking about, okay, well, I don't feel called to serve right now. Okay, that's fine. If I could challenge that a little bit, it's like, well, you know, do you mean that you never feel like there's a place where you can, um, where you can put somebody else in front of you, where you can serve, um, where you can maybe even take on for a little bit? Uh, maybe an uncomfortable place that that is just an expression of love toward uh, toward another person. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe maybe the idea of jumping onto some kind of like volunteer team that is going to have this routine of doing you know X, Y, and Z week after week after week. Maybe that is something that you don't think uh, you can or or even want to uh, do right now, but don't, don't let, don't dismiss yourself from the importance of, of serving, uh, of serving others. It, 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 and again, I'd say, including uh, the church, the church is a place um, filled with people 
that we ought to be able to depend on and also contribute to, right? And, uh, and so we need to find uh, a way to do both of those things. Um, okay. Uh, are we going to pray for Israel? Like, as a church, are we going to pray for Israel and what has been going on? So, uh, all right, we're about half an hour into this thing with a few questions left. Uh, this, is a, this is a big question. And um, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to provide a little perspective, but it's it, I'm coming at I'll, I'll come at this th- this whole thing very very generally, and it might actually for those of you that are listening, it might possibly trigger some other questions, um, which which are which are fine. Like um, more questions would probably help provide some clarity to what I'm gonna say, and so let me let me first of all just say that I, uh, there's a lot about the, uh, the crisis that's happening, uh, in Israel and Palestine that, I mean, I just, like, I haven't personally spent the many, like anywhere near the many, 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 many hours it would take to, um, to contribute you know, uh, uh, with, with a high degree of kind of expertise, you know, comments about it. So let me just say, let me just say that there are, I mean, I, I could, I could certainly, the more I talk about something like this, I could, I could definitely demonstrate a high level of ignorance, uh, which, and now let's talk about us as Americans, uh, as American Christians, I think we, uh, many of us, have a high degree of ignorance when it comes to uh, what has been going on. And so, all right, so I said what I'm going to say, first of all. Secondly, (laughs) um, whatever follows after this, um, do not hear anything that suggests that the the terrorist attack uh, inflicted by Hamas onto Israel is something that I would ever condone. Um, I, it's very hard to find people that would condone it, that would that would stand up and cheer and celebrate something like the atrocity that happened uh, not too long ago. All right. So, um, if 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 somebody walks away from anything that I said and and says that you know Josh is a um, he's a detractor from Israel and a supporter of a terrorist organization like Hamas, then you're not listening. Okay. So, uh, if I could just sort of make that statement, the, um, the other thing that I would say, again, just as a kind of umbrella type of thing that I, 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 I wouldn't want somebody to walk away thinking that, that, um, that there shouldn't be a high degree of sympathy for what is actually the, um, the 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 condition of those that are in Palestine. And so there's there's all kinds of stuff that's going on uh, with the conflict and 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 people that have very very um, strong and sometimes polarizing positions about them, right? And this idea that uh, even when it comes to all right, well, which side are you on? Are you on the side of Israel or are you on the side of Palestine, right? So you have you have people 
arguing for both of those. And then you have this third way of um, what has been called something like two sidesism, right? Where it's like, no, they're both they're both wrong and or they're both guilty of um, uh, of bad things and 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 then uh, people on either of the, the 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 side of Israel or the side of the Palestinians um, or yeah the side of the Palestinians you know would look at the, the people at, uh, that are that are talking about this 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 other this other way that they're both guilty is as kind of like excusing um, the behavior of of either one not really taking a stand um, so. I here's my concern for when it comes to to my world uh, as a as an evangelical uh, in America uh, and and with the some of the the theological kind of commitments that people have made when it comes to something like the the nation of Israel, um, they. I, I again, I, I don't know. I don't know how to like boil down into you know very very simplistic terms what what anybody ought to think. Because I first of all, I don't think it's that simple. And so uh, I guess one of the things that I'd say is to have any kind of you know simple take like you know you know we stand for Israel, right? Whatever that means. Uh, that is generally uh, it's in America. It's a political statement. Right. So and you hear some of our politicians saying things like that. I mean, the president uh, would echo sentiments like, you know, we stand with Israel, especially in the um, in the immediate aftermath of the, the terrorist attack itself. Right. If we could just kind of look at the timeline. Uh, and, and there is this there is this political understanding that that um, the right side to take is to support the nation of Israel. Uh, and so there's, 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 there's political um, speech, you know, kind of all revolving around that. And it's almost become a, uh, a parallel that to be a good American is to be a person that would stand up and say, I support Israel. And then when it comes to um, Christianity, there is also um, now a sometimes a a theological line of thought that suggests um, that we should quote unquote stand with Israel, and the the what the idea of that even means is very 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 problematic. Um, so I'm going to guess that the person who wrote this question, are we going to like listen to the way the question is worded? Are we going to pray for Israel and what has been going on? What I am inferring from the way that question is worded is that there is a um, there is an incomplete idea of what we are to understand about what is happening in the Middle East. And I think that there's a lot of work that people need to do to get themselves even close to like up to speed. Um, what maybe people are not 
aware of or haven't even thought of is something like, and this is why I said at the beginning, like I, both I, as well as, you know, any other people, any, any person that would say what I'm about to say, um, is not condoning the terrorist attack. Like there's no, I have no sympathy. I have no sympathy for the manner in which Hamas attacked the nation of Israel. Okay. So again, just reiterating that. However, it's irresponsible for any of us to think that that terrorist attack just happened in a vacuum and that there aren't all kinds of significant events in history that contribute to how that attack ended up happening in the first place. Again, not saying it was it was the right thing to do or justified or even that it is uh like it is a it's an act of righteousness um that we ought to sympathize over like it's wrong it's evil it's heinous absolutely like no equivocation about that but to think that like all that has happened is um something like the nation of Israel is just kind of sitting there minding its own business. And then through no fault of their own, this awful attack happens. And that's just sort of the fact of the matter. And so now Israel is in a position to do whatever it thinks is best for its national interests to, um, to either seek revenge for that attack or to, um, to, I like, they probably put it in terms of, you know, ensure that something like that could never happen again. I mean, let's just think about where we are right now, right? So you have a terrible loss of life that occurs because Hamas initiated this attack against Israel. Following that, right. And leading up to this point, now we have also an incredible loss of life um, in what will be called, you know, the, uh, the area of Palestine that, yeah, I mean, people will argue for the justification of that. Um, and that's just, that's so problematic. You know, as, as a Christian, I mean, our, we should be, our hearts should be so grieved over the reality of war and the loss of life. And when I talk about how like the attack didn't happen in a vacuum, right? When, when a person has this very simplistic kind of like, I stand for Israel, I just don't think there's any appreciation for what is actually happening in that region, what has happened uh, over decades now, and what is the actual situation there on the ground. Um, like, are, are people aware that or can they not remember that, um, like the 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 creation of this Israeli state had an incredible effect on hundreds of thousands of people, right? That these 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 territories that we refer to as you know as as Palestine, you know Gaza, West Bank, um, these are largely filled with people who have been turned into refugees because they lost their homes and their land, right? They were, 
they were they were forced out into these places and how have for a long long time many of them lived in refugee camps and are not given the freedom to to move about um to exercise any kind of real civil liberty like you and i would just naturally take for granted um, that they live under a kind of occupation by a colonializing state uh, called Israel. It's really troubling that Christians, you know, they they think of the nation of Israel as you know being something like, you know, what 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 God has or had in mind um, with uh, what what is His plan for redemption of mankind, and and again. There may be maybe like more specific questions that would help me kind of frame the conversation, but this I, this simple idea that um, that the nation of Israel is something like what God had in mind for this particular point in time in the history of humanity, and that it is it's just all a part of prophetic fulfillment. Um, is it's it's just it's really problematic. Um, the nation of Israel, for one thing, is a it's 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 basically a secular state. I mean, most of the uh, most of the the people that make up the state of Israel are ethnically Jewish, but have very very little to no interest in the um, like the religious side of what it means to be a Jew. I mean, it is a for all practical purposes, it is a very very secularized state. Um, there are. Uh, yeah. And so like to, to think about, uh, again, like just thinking about the way Christians think it's like, well, cause here's the question. It's like, well, whose land is it? Right. This is, this is part of what is creating all this tension is that you have, you have an area that was occupied, uh, by people, many of whom like trace back generations and generations of lineage, uh, who, who have lived in the land. And because of, Things like um, uh, colonization projects um, by Western nations, uh, by things like the Holocaust and uh, just some of the fallout of of World War II coming to an end, and um, and the desire to create this this Jewish state. It's like like I can't opine on on. The political strategy of whether that was a good idea, but let's just let like let's say it worked. Let's say it was right. It was a good idea to do something like create this this nation state of Israel um, that would be a place where Jews could go and 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 live uh, with a high degree of kind of safety for their their ethnic identity, right? Like as a, as a response to the the general anti-Semitism that they have experienced for all of time, um, the desire to create this nation state. Let's just say that was a good thing. We can't say that in doing that, that it didn't have catastrophic implications for the people that were living there, right? That's like, that's, that's this, this, this failure to just recognize how doing something like that, that ultimately resulted in the pushing out of people into what, what are now impoverished regions and um, impoverished circumstances. Like I said, many of them living as continued refugees, people without a state. I mean, can you imagine, uh, I don't know how uh, how much we take for granted the fact that we are United States citizens, right? Though most of us who are listening to this, um, but we're, we're people with a state, right? And, 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 and as 
uh, as people who can be identified with this, the United States, we have we have certain rights uh, that. Yeah, I get to I get to do a lot as a free person, and and the, these these Palestinians, um, some of whom are Christians, right? They're 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 followers of Jesus, um, most of whom are are Muslim, uh, but they they're many of them they're just people without a state. They're people without a homeland, and so here they are living as refugees. Some of them have recollections of and actual experiences of their families being murdered, um, of their, their homes and their lands being taken away. Right. I mean, you can hear, you can imagine like there, there are stories of, you know, people who have like still have possession of the keys, um, to what was the house that they lived in, that they were forced out of and, uh, now living as refugees for years and years and years and years. And so again, while I, there's no condoning terrorism the like what do you expect uh, when 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 you when you take when you take people and you just you strip them of all of their human worth and dignity and and give them no rights like they don't they don't control things like their basic utilities they don't control in fact like this is part of the problem with the war as it stands is israel has the power to they shut off electricity. They um, they've cut off food supplies, right? I mean, they get to create incredibly dangerous um, circumstances for all the people that are affected. You know, most of whom have nothing to do with Hamas. Um, most of whom who would, if given the opportunity, would just love to live out their lives in peace and tranquility, uh, but don't they just? they're not given, they're not afforded that opportunity. And so the, um, I think it's, I think it's wrong headed for a Christian, uh, to just simply like, well, you know, the Jews belong in the promised land and that's that, that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible, like you need to read your Bible again. Uh, the, you know, God made this promise to Abraham and to his descendants. And that promise came with, um, it came with conditions, right? Like it was not, it was not a covenant that God made with the nation of Israel that was conditionless, right? He says, so long as you continue to seek me and obey me and to follow after me, the land will be yours. But like, when you stop doing that, when you, when you go away from the covenant that I have established with you, I'm, the land will spit you out, right? And so while I don't want for that to sound like, like anti-Semitic, rhetoric because it's not right like i'm not i'm not against jewish people i'm not against um like having i'm for all people <laughs> i'm for every single person regardless of their their ethnicity um the 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 question of well who does the land belong to it's a really good question is just simply say well the bible says it belongs to to jews and that's that not only do I think it's a, a poor understanding of God's redemptive plan for all humanity, which like, let's not forget that ultimately a new covenant was established through Jesus, right? The Messiah came and everything changed. And the God's whole entire plan of redemption for humanity was to bring everyone, every tribe, every tongue, right? Every nation together. Um, and Israel as a political entity is a, 
like the the idea behind what Israel is intended to be has very racial um, overtones to it. Uh, it's it's uh, there's a there's a racist mentality that creates a kind of supremacy for the Jew over and against those who are not Jews, right? That that there's actual racism that is exercised and discrimination that's exercised depending on what race a person happens to belong to. I mean, really, is that is that what we support? Is that what we're for? Is <laughs> do we want to go back in time to when you know when we had um, things like you know um, you know just uh, a high degree of like racial segregation and separation and and just and be okay with that? No, like we're trying to we're trying to to move even further and further away from things like racial injustice, and yet here we hold up. And again, I I I can kind of I, I understand like in in the aftermath of the Holocaust, right, and all the anti-Semitism, the idea, like the idea, the notion of creating a, a Jewish state um, where where people, uh, you know, somebody who was a part of a, a very very oppressed people is now given a a, a land, a place to be um, um, to be who they are without fear that they're going to that, that they're going to be purged uh, as a, a, a as an ethnic cleansing kind of project from this world I, I i understand i can understand where the desire for something like that might come from but if it only if it only then holds up you know one race is supreme over the rest especially with regard to people that had been occupying the land for you know uh, some of them, I mean, some of them like probably trace their heritage back to the very first Christians. Uh, you think about some of the people that have been tending to the holy places and the holy cities now for 2000 years. Um, like I said, I mean, there's followers of Jesus, like there's Christian, there's Christian Arab people um, that are, that are, they're, they're Palestinians. They, they, that's, that's the only sort of like national identification that they have or have ever had it just it goes back just for as as far back as they can you know possibly trace it and to just to to say of that person not just because they're a christian but like um you know to anybody and say well you don't you can't live here you can't be in this land because you're not this i i find it very surprising that that's something that we can justify so um what should we pray for? I mean, what we need to pray for is we need to pray for peace. And what should we speak for? Uh, we should speak for peace. What should we speak against? I think we should speak against war. Uh, what, like, I, I know that it's very easy for people to think that the response that Israel has had um, on the Palestinian territories is perfectly warranted and justified. And it's like, I, I'm not on board with that. And I don't think any Christian should be on board with that. I think we should be grieving, mourning the loss of life and the 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 um the lack of peace uh that or a peaceful way that people are seeking to go forward. Right. I mean, as a Christian, I mean, I'm supposed to be against retaliation of any kind. Uh Jesus says, follow me and bless those who persecute you. And treat kindly those who are your enemies, right? When someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. Retaliate. There's just, there's no place for retaliation in the Christian ethic. And so to think that 
um, you know, that I can be for uh, the loss of women, children, babies, um, and other kinds of non-combatants in Palestine, because uh, uh, you know it's it's easy for me to think that well, uh, you know, Hamas is a is the sort of the political power there, and and so the, clearly they must all in some way or at least to some degree support. Uh, what Hamas is doing, and it's just, it's so irresponsible, so simplistic, and um, and I think very, very problematic just for, like, how we think about as Christians, and so, yeah, let's pray for peace, and let's, um, I, there, there's nothing in particular that, like, I have a, a, an actual, um, or could have an actual hand in, you know, when it comes to you know, trying to see justice be done in, in that region. But, you know, certainly I want to be thinking better uh, about, about, the, uh, about the whole thing. Um, and, you know, if given the opportunity to, to do something, to, to do what is, you know, ultimately being acted out in God's righteousness. So, like I said, if there's some, if, if there's some questions that you want to ask that might help, um, like I said, something that's in your, in your thinking, um, you know, wow, that doesn't sound right, or I've never thought of that before, or I really, really disagree with that. Um, I, I welcome, I welcome that. This could be, uh, you know, one of the ongoing conversations that we have because it is important. I, I do think it's very important for us um, to try to have a, a as good an understanding of what's going on in our world as we can. All right. Um, it's funny every time I get one of those questions, it's just like it feels like such a sharp turn away uh, on other things. But uh, all right, here's the next question. Non-service related question, but how does a Christian decide on cremation versus traditional burials? What does scripture teach about this? I won't spend a lot of time on this. The Certainly Christianity has a long heritage of uh, a burial of its dead that um, may be different from like what it perceived the pagan people around them did. Uh, and so I know that, in, I mean, in my lifetime, there, there, there's, been, there's been some stronger opinions or thought about this. Like, I, I mean, I could probably think of times when there would have been people in religious circles that would have taught that cremation is like, that, that it's wrong. Um, from my perspective, the Bible is absolutely silent on this kind of thing. And I just, I, I, I think a person is very, very free to do whatever they think is best for them and their family. Um, I, I, you know, I know, I know there's some people that the idea, you know, a, a loved one has died and, and, and they, they want to, um, you know, they want to have the body embalmed uh, and have a service where you know, people can pay their last respects by uh, coming up to a casket and looking at the, the the deceased and, you know, sort of have some closure from that, that like some people carry that as a very, very important thing uh, for, for, for those who remain to be able to experience. And others are um, not so concerned about those things. So I, I just, yeah, Scripture doesn't. Scripture does not say do not cremate your your dead. Um, you know, or I, I, there's nothing inherently wrong about that particular practice that you could say. Okay, well, this is 
this is really, really tied into, you know, occultic practices. And so it's just something that a Christian ought not to do. I, I mean, I just don't think there's much in the way of that. So um, I, 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 if somebody were asking me, I tell them, you know, what, what do you want to do? Like how, what are, what are your wishes or what are the wishes of your loved one? And, and don't feel any, any guilt about which direction you go in. Uh, all right. Are non-believers also considered servants or is it more that God uses them uh, and their choices to achieve his purpose? So what I was describing on Sunday morning was that we are, as people who work for God, uh, we are servants, right? That That is the that is the classification that we're supposed to take on as people who are living in relationship uh, to God. We become servants. We, we, God takes possession of my life. We belong to him. Right. And so, and we, we sort of talked about what does, what does being a servant, what does servanthood look like now when it comes to other people? I mean, obviously you don't have to be a believer in Jesus to serve other people, right? That's when it comes to the, the way most human beings live their lives. Um, yeah, you could, you can, you can certainly see all kinds of people that like give their hearts, their lives and service. Like, like they're just, they're just built and wired to be, um, servants of others. And, and it's, it, it's separate from, you know, any particular identity that they have, uh, with Christ. So, yeah, I think we're kind of talking about servants in, in, you know, different ways here. What, what I would say though, is that it's, it's when it comes to a person who's following Jesus, being a servant is no longer optional. So if I, if I come into a relationship with Christ and, and, and I'm, and I'm following him, then it's, and let's just say, let's say I, I have, I'm a really, really, really selfish person, right? Uh, selflessness is not something that comes very easily or naturally for me. I'm, I, I've, I've lived my whole life trying to get ahead, trying to get the position, trying to gain prominence, putting myself first. Uh, I, I, that is, that's an attitude. Um, and, and there are actions resulting from that attitude that I have to repent from. And with God's help, with God's spirit working in and transforming my life, move away from that way of being to becoming more of a servant, of putting myself first less and putting others first more, right? And kind of growing more and more into that. Does God use other people to achieve his purpose? Uh, of course. Yeah, I mean, we see all kinds of examples of how people, and I, I'm, a, uh, I'm a high proponent of free will. Like I, 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 I hold up the, how free will is uh, the man, or the gift of free will is the manner in which God has created humankind. I hold that up very, very, very highly. Uh, there are other kind of theological lines of thought that would, they'd say that people have free will, but really the, the way in which they see free will, it's not, it's not actually in a logical sense, really the same as something like free will. I mean, I believe I, I truly have the will to live for God or to live not for God. Um, and that my free will is, is also somehow affected by, by God's sovereignty and God's work 
not only in my own life, but also in the life of the world, right? That somehow those two things that seem like they, um, they're like oil and water, they do actually mix together uh, to combine into a life that is either being lived for God or, or not being lived for God. But God is, you know, my understanding of God is, is, is that he is sovereign, right? This, this universe is not this thing that is just spiraling out of control as if like, you know, God is frantically trying to figure out how to fix it. No, God has a redemptive plan for this world, for, um, for, for the human race. And that plan is, it's unfolding, even though we may question it sometimes it's unfolding according to the wisdom of God and God's foreknowledge. And again, this, this incredibly complex, a combination of the free will of billions and billions and billions of people um, and God's sovereignty. And so, um, yeah, uh, we are, we are all in a way um, servants for, you know, the greatest good that God has in mind for us. Um, You know, even those that set themselves against God, God can use circumstances to bring about uh, the best form of his will. Uh, end times is a topic among many I speak with these days. Do those words mean the end of times we currently know and not the end of the world? Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I understand exactly what the question is here. So, yeah, end times is, for, for some people, a topic that is among their favorites when it comes to theological topics. I'll be honest, it's not mine. Uh, I think that I think that the Christian ought to be a person who is longing for the return of Christ, right? So when it comes to when it comes to end times, the most important thing from my perspective is an acknowledgement that that the king is coming back, right? That I live my life with an orientation toward the idea that Jesus is going to return to fully consummate his kingdom. Now, um, whole entire theological traditions and kinds of churches have been established based on ways they see this unfolding and happening, right? And, and, and so when it comes to the, the topic of end times in the Bible or prophetic um, teaching, right, prophecies, things like that, yeah, people go in a lot of different directions. And I, I just, you know, I'm, my particular interest at present is not to be so concerned with exactly how it's going to be done. It's far more concerned with the reality that it, we are headed somewhere. Uh, and that as a, as a follower of Jesus, I, 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 I sort of gaze into the heavens looking for and hoping for the return of Jesus, right? Because what I do understand about the world is the world's not going to get fixed, I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to play my part. I want to do my part in seeking the expansion of God's kingdom in this world. I want to seek the advancement of God's righteous ways in this world, to whatever extent I'm given the privilege to participate in that. But I also do that with an understanding that there is no level of human effort that is ultimately going to solve all of the problems of this wicked world in which we live. We are not going to solve the problem of selfishness and greed and corruption 
immorality. We're not, we're never going to fix all of that. Uh, there are those that think that we must, right? If the human race is going to last, then we must fix those things. And while we ought to contribute the best we can toward the advancement of God's righteousness, we're not going to fix. There's no humanitarian reason, um, solution for all of the problems that, that, that are being experienced by this world and being experienced by human beings. What ultimately solves and fixes everything is the return of Christ and the full establishment of his kingdom. And so when does that happen? See, we don't know. And, uh, yeah, I suppose a person could be as fascinated with trying to predict and think about and, you know, questions like, okay, well, you know, we talked about this whole thing with Israel. So Israel becomes in certain theological lines of thought, it becomes this very, very integral part of how we are to understand how, how it's all going to come to an end. And I, I think it's, I think it's led to all kinds of really poor, um, biblical interpretation, all kinds of poor biblical interpretation, uh, and, and unnecessary, uh, fascination that, that oftentimes recuses a person from really participating on a day-to-day basis in the, like the seeking of, of justice, um, and of loving one's neighbor and of, of living as a servant to others, right? Because it's like all they, there are some that like all they have is their eyes in the sky, right? And that's it. It's just like, when are you coming? When are you coming? It's got to be any minute now, any minute now, any minute now. Meanwhile, life is happening all around them. Um, and they're not really actually contributing, um, to the, uh, to the advancement of God's kingdom in a, in a real and tangible way. So, uh, you know, um, yeah, are, are we in the end times? We are. Uh, we, but, but we are, we've been in the end times since Jesus talked about really, you know, kind of the end times, right. From, from, from the moment he left, um, it, it, he did, I, the, the end times has been sort of this, this thing where the world is in a state where the master has gone away from the vineyard. Right. Um, and, and, uh, and there are servants left there at the vineyard to tend to uh, the vineyard. And they're supposed to do it in a way that, uh, that the master would, would be proud of uh, that the master would commend and, and because and, one day he's going to come back. Right. And, he, and, and he's going to, at that point, there'll be a reckoning um, of the lives that we have lived. So, so we are, we're in those times. Uh, does that mean, it all comes to a screeching halt in 2024, you know, or 2054. I mean, we don't know. We don't know. Uh, responsible Christians have for centuries and centuries thought this is it. We're, we're near the end. And I think there's, 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 that's a good attitude, right? The, again, the longing anticipation for the return of Christ. All right. Finally. Oh, figures. Uh, last question. Another big one. Um, <laughs> what's your view on Reiki or laying, uh, of the hands? It's now offered in the medical field. Some say Jesus is the only healer, but doesn't he work through us? Okay. Uh, I, I, I can only kind of, again, speak a little bit out of my lane. I mean, I don't know a lot about Reiki. Um, and so I will say, um, I, I will, this is my opinion. Um, from what little I know or understand about it, I would say no bueno, um, no good. 
that that Reiki is it is it is some, it, there's a the the philosophy and the um, the understanding that sort of undergirds you know this 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 kind of treatment or holistic what what, what might, might be called a, a holistic practice or whatever however it's identified uh, that behind it there is there is a different understanding about concepts like who and what is God. Um, that 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 is outside of the the Christian's understanding of who and what is God, uh, among other things. And so, I I did um um I, I had I noticed this question was coming. I did pull up a, a couple of um a couple of articles, and maybe I'll I'll see if I can uh, like. There's an article that was written by a person who was uh, a Reiki practitioner. Um, the title says, I was a new age healer. Then I realized I wasn't the one doing the healing. And the subtitle is why a Reiki master renounced her craft to follow Jesus. So this is the testimony of a person who uh, had practiced Reiki for a, a period of time and then had come to understand that it was not something that could actually coincide with uh, with following Jesus and, you know, pretty good article. Um, and then I also like, you know, are there people that would say that Reiki is appropriate for, for Christians to both be practitioners of, and then also to, um, to receive the benefits from, of course. Right. And so, uh, I found a website that would talk about, uh, Reiki as something that Christians should feel free to, um, to involve themselves in. But interestingly, um, you know, you know, when I went to the page on Reiki energy, what is it and how does it heal? It's like the stuff that I read there, uh, I, I, it's like, okay, well, this is, this is actually stuff that, that probably does not jive with Christian doctrine, teaching and practice. And so, you know, while the person would say, well, Christian can do these things, then to talk about what Reiki actually is in ways that are, um, sort of outside what I think are the boundaries of Christian doctrine, teaching, and practice seems um, seems kind of strange to me. So, uh, yeah, I if uh, I, I can only talk to the people that um, that are part of my church, and you know, as uh, uh, as a part of this faith community, I would I would say, yeah, it's um, probably not probably something you should you should not bother with. Um, the question of whether it's kind of nothing like, or insubstantial, unsubstantial, uh, or actually dangerous. Uh, I will, um, yeah, I, I, I probably lean toward that. It, it could be a, a spiritually unhealthy thing for a person to seek out, right? Not that it's just a neutral kind of thing. I'd, I'd be personally, I'd be more on the end of, yeah, just, this is not, this is not for the person that is seeking to follow Jesus. Now, this thing about Jesus being the healer, yeah. I mean, and does Jesus heal today? Absolutely. And I think that this creates some justification for a person trying to learn the practice of Reiki uh, in order to provide that healing. And uh, like, I don't, I don't, when it, when it comes to like the gift of healing that we see talked about in scripture or how, um, how the gift of healing was in operation among people like Jesus's apostles and other believers. Um, this was a, this was a gift that God's spirit just sort of gave to, you know, some individuals and they, 
they were used as um, kind of intermediaries uh, for God's healing, right? The scripture even commends us as a church to, when a person is sick, have the elders come and lay hands on that person and pray for them. But there's with that, there's this thought that, yeah, Jesus is the one who heals, right? Jesus is the one uh, who is our savior, including like he 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 saves us from our suffering. Sometimes he saves us from our suffering in a moment, um, which we would call a miraculous healing. Sometimes he saves us from our suffering ultimately uh, when we pass into eternity and and receive. Well, you know, ultimately we receive this this new body, um, this new physical reality that is not subject to the pain and distress that our current bodies uh, experience. And so. Um, uh, that, yeah, I guess that's, uh, enough about that. Maybe that'll, maybe somebody will look for some more specific information on that, but I think that's good. Uh, first to close on that note, thank you so much for your questions. And, um, that's all we have for today. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of my messy church. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to head to your app store and download the Curtis Lake church app for easy access to all of our content. Thank you so much for joining us and we can't wait to be with you next week.